a blink of an eye. Life stories of trauma, loss, awakenings, and epiphanies, beginning with one mom's journal entries recorded in real time of a catastrophic diving accident rendering her teenage son paralyzed from the neck down, and the courageous fight to save his life. Told through unedited text and journal entries and inspiring guest interviews, Blink of an Eye will take you on a powerful journey of advocacy and hope and an unvarnished look at the true nature of our relationships and interconnectedness in the face of an event that changes everything. Episode 5, Prayer Warriors Unite, August 6th, Day 2. Have you ever been in an ICU? Well, last night completely blurred into today, and I feel like today is receding quickly into tonight. It's getting dark outside, I think. Archer has been uncomfortable, and when he does open his eyes, he has this glassy, frightened, faraway look that just penetrates me to my core. Each time he seems to come around a bit, I will reach out to hold his arm and say, I'm right here, sweetheart. This will pass. You will heal. You will walk again. My other kids claimed a corner of the family waiting room last night and looks like they will remain there again tonight. Billy brought blankets and pillows from that Caesars hotel room. So kind of that lady. Friends from Cape May drove all the way up here today a 50-minute drive up the Garden State Parkway into this strange city to see us. So kind. They brought Italian hoagies, our favorite sandwiches from our go-to family eatery in Cape May, Brothers Pizza. Pete hung up a large orange poster board that our Cape May friends also brought. It reminded me of grade school projects on poster boards. Remember? It was full of photographs of Archer and them hand drawings, and magazine cutouts of things they knew Archer loved. Monopoly, Monopoly money, lacrosse sticks, various beautiful pics of good food and cooking, surfboards, tennis rackets, playing cards, croquet. It was so thoughtful. I wanted Arch to be able to see it. It turned into a bit of an ordeal as we realized it would do Archer no good if we hung it on a wall since he was in a position sort of stuck looking straight up at the ceiling in his large neck brace, unable to move. And we were told not to disturb him in any way. So we came up with a plan with some string and tape and Velcro that the kids got at the Walgreens around the corner. And Pete hoisted his girlfriend up onto his shoulders as he braced himself steadily holding her ankles while I acted as a spotter, and she reached up to press the Velcro tape to an acoustical tile in the ceiling so that the poster was now a mobile, a little off the end of Archer's bed, so he didn't have to work in any way to see it. It worked. I think Archer liked it the few times he did open his eyes. Each time he did, I would say out loud to him, Archer, you are so loved. It's just a matter of time, my darling, and you will be back to all those things. I believe that. I noticed a small white dry washcloth that was sort of rolled up and lying on his bed. I asked a nurse what it was for, and she looked at it and said she didn't know, and she took it. She came back in later, though, and told me someone in rehab must have come by and placed it in the palm of his hand, rolled like a fat sausage right under his four fingers. She brought it back and sort of shoved it under Archer's right hand. Throughout the rest of the day, I noticed how his hand very slowly just naturally curled around it. One of the times she came back in, I said, I saw Archer's hand move. It did. And she said, probably not, as she changed one of the drip bags and left. Later on, she returned again and told me the rehab therapist said, 
It's just the spasticity of the hand I may have seen. And the rolled washcloth was to help with Archer's hand not permanently curling. Oh, I see. But I didn't like what she said. So I said, permanently? I don't think so. Archer Sempt will walk. You wait and see. He will. There was always someone coming into the room, someone asking something, someone doing something to Archer, for Archer. He lay motionless and silent. I sat bedside to Archer, watching him closely and watching the nurses closely. It was all so foreign. Except for giving birth to five babies in hospitals, our family had never had an experience overnight in a hospital before. We really hadn't. I mean, we had a few, very few, knock on wood, emergency room visits. When Paula was in middle school, a little divot was taken out of the back of her skull when her friend Aaron accidentally nipped her with a golf club swing. When Pete broke his arm on a snowboard jump and had to sit out an entire lacrosse season, which Billy never got over. When Dewey ripped his lip when Diego McQuestion grabbed him to block his shot in basketball at the Roland Park pool. And when Archer broke his collarbone after Paula tackled him in a touch football game at the beach. Oh, Archer has had surgeries for his hearing loss, but we had never been overnight in a hospital. It was foreign territory for me. I studied Archer, the room, and all the machines closely. From time to time, I pulled out my tiny rosary, the one I bought for like a dollar in Lourdes, fits into the palm of my hand, and I'd say in my head, Hail Mary, full of grace. It was comforting to me. The kids brought me a notebook from the Walgreens across the street so I could take better notes. The scraps of small notepads from my pocketbook were filled. I began journaling a little. I was already thinking about what we would do to ensure Archer walked again and as soon as possible. I knew we would. We would get through this. It was passing. I believed that. You know, stuff happens, like conflict, and it passes. Nothing really remains the same. It all passes, right? Right, God? Please help us through. And I would silently begin thinking again, Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. I would glance at my phone every once in a while. I don't know about you, but I've always kept my phone on silent because I never wanted to be bothered when I was mediating or doing most things, really not even a vibration. I set it always to off. But I did feel a connection to those texts that were coming in. Every time I picked up my phone to look, there were more texts. They just kept pouring in. I was really flooded with amazement. You know, I'd say that most friends of mine knew our family was Catholic. And I suspect many professional friends may have known that, or at least knew I believed in God. But as I think about it, more importantly, I didn't know who prayed and who didn't. And as I think about it, I didn't know who believed in God and who didn't. I mean, if you had asked me then, I'd say that outside those from our church community, Oh, our church is the Cathedral of Mary, our Queen in Baltimore. Most other people I knew and friends of our children's friends would probably not necessarily call themselves religious. Or maybe they would. It's just that they didn't say so publicly. I mean, if someone says they're religious, does that mean they pray? But others who say they're not religious don't pray? I mean... Many of my Jewish friends would say they were not really Jewish, but were culturally Jewish, but that they celebrated Chrismica. So I imagine they might still pray. 
I think they did. I don't know. And many of my Christian friends, they'd say they were Christian, but they didn't go to church or didn't have a church or didn't think church was important. But I imagine they prayed, but I honestly didn't know. And I didn't have any idea what most of my friends believed about God. Or maybe I knew everybody believed in God. It's just that we never really talked about it. I, I don't know. I mean, religion, you know, faith, spirituality. I think for many people, their relationship with God is a very private matter. It's funny. I mean, I've been attending daily mass for about mm, like 15 years maybe, but very few people know that. So I get it. I mean, when you think about people you know, do you know who prays? I know some folks are in Bible study groups or prayer groups, but I think most people are not. I think a lot of people believe in God, though. Do you believe in God? Do you ever talk with others about God? Like genuinely, curiously, and non-judgmentally talk with others about what you and they believe about God? Maybe we don't because we're not sure ourselves. The topic of God wasn't really talked about in most of my friendships and relationships outside my home. I mean, I, I welcome people in my mediation trainings, and I often refer to God in gratitude, and I refer to God as source, joy, the divine in our midst, but I don't have God as a topic on my training agenda, although maybe I should. I mean, that would be interesting. My non-Catholic friends, well, they may have known Billy and I sent our kids to parochial grade school. And others may have known when the kids were growing up that we went to church every Sunday as a family, but probably not. Yet, my husband, Billy, had become a deacon. I mean, that was kind of a big deal. And yet, still, I'd say very few of my conversations with all the different groups of wonderful people in my life included discussions about God. You know, if you believed, what you believed. There were some people with whom I had entered into deep discussions over the years about Catholicism, like my Order of Malta friends and my professional friends in the Peace Churches, the Church of the Brethren, the Society of Friends, the Quakers, and the Mennonite Church about what I believed about God. And I had some very deep and interesting discussions with others I didn't even know well at all, and even some strangers about Catholicism and Christianity and about Judaism and Hinduism. I've always been curious. I'll never forget a conversation I had with a woman who was attending one of my 40-hour conflict transformation trainings while she was fasting. She was a member of B'nai B'rith, and she arrived on like day 24 of 30 of a long fast for peace. She was almost see-through, honestly, which is how our conversation started, because I approached her after our first day as I noticed and was concerned how gaunt she was. She was so genuinely full of joy and emanated goodness in her smile. I felt graced to be in her presence and honored that she had chosen the last days of her long fast to be with me. It was most memorable. And I think of other deep conversations I have had with friends who practice other religious traditions. Mormonism, Buddhism, Muslimism, and Native American Hopiism. You know, as I think now of those discussions, oh, they were rich. And they made me think. They made me find words to describe what I believed. They made me dig deeper. And they yielded deep, respectful, 
trusting friendships, memorable. And they made me a better version of myself. They also made me stronger in my own faith, more expansive. But there I sat in that Atlantic Care ICU trauma unit, hospital room 3117, bedside to our paralyzed son. And the text messages I was receiving, well, it felt like my prayers were being answered. I knew we were not alone. The prayer warriors were uniting for Archer. My wondering about who prayed or not, little did I realize that I never needed to wonder again. It still takes my breath away to this day. And it all began last night, a day I will never forget, August 5th, with a simple, albeit desperate, request. This is Louise. Pray hard. Please pray very hard. Our son Archer has had a swimming accident at the beach and broke his neck. You know how you can open your messages on your phone and there's a little blue dot beside each person who has texted you? Well, I scrolled through those every chance I got trying to keep up. Just to give you a sense of it, here are a few going back to pre-surgery last night. I wonder if you will feel the same way I do, lifted up, the same comfort. It was real. 9.25 p.m., Loretto Kane, my friend in Seattle, Washington, and hospitaler of the Order of Malta. Her text was a copy of an email she had sent that read, Subject, urgent, prayers for Archer Sempt. Importance, high. Comferees, please pray for Archer Sempt, son of Louise Phipps Sempt, Dame and Deacon Bill Sempt, who suffered a serious accident at the beach today. He will have surgery this evening. As Bill Sempt posted, please pray for our son Archer. He has broken C5 and C6 vertebra in accident swimming at the beach today. He will be operated on tonight. Pray for his surgeon and for his complete recovery from this spinal injury. Thanks and peace to you. Loretto's email went to the chairpersons of the local chapters of the order, so it covered half the country of serious prayer warriors. 10.57 p.m., Kathy Giannoscoli, my friend in Pennsylvania and my summer neighbor in Cape May, whom you've already met. She texted, prayers from Cape Island parishes, Augustinians of Malvern and Villanova, St. Elizabeth, St. Joe's, Saints Philip and James, St. Pat's, St. Basil, Texas, Tennessee, Indiana, all our Quaker, Methodist, and Baptist friends. 11 p.m., Ann Hammond, my old college roommate in Houston, Texas, who texted, Oh my gosh, Louise, of course I will pray, and I have sent your text to all the UVA Theta girls, so we will all be sending out many prayers for Archer. You must be absolutely devastated and scared to death. I love you and stand by you. I will pray for you and hope for healing from God. 1.17 a.m. Robin Cameron, my spiritual advisor in Sedona, Arizona, texted, I'll put this on our prayer line at St. John Vianney Church. My heart and prayer is 100% with Archer and all of you. May you all be wrapped in God's grace, peace, and healing power. I love you. 2.11 a.m. Margie Hun, my 76-year-old aunt in Des Moines, Iowa a former Dominican nun, she texted, I started a rosary, prayer circles, prayer chains from all our Catholic churches. I knew that was powerful. In this crazy time, these words were comfort to me. Recently, my friend Kathy Giannoscoli and I got together to talk, still piecing it all together. And you've met Kathy before. Kath, you were one of the first persons to respond. And it was so comforting to me because 
you said, and I have the text, um, sending out the prayer chain to all Cape Island churches. And then you began to list them in the Augustinians of Malvern and the uh, and different different groups right, of, right. of prayer circles, of Catholic prayer circles. Right. And I was comforted by that. Good. I, that's why I did it, because I knew that would bring you comfort. And it, it was something to do when there was nothing I could do. If someone ever asks you to pray for them, please consider it. Even if just one prayer, one intention, it is immeasurably comforting to know someone else is praying for you. And if you are ever asked to pray for someone, it's always a choice, of course, but what a difference one prayer makes. What a difference one positive intention, no matter what your religion, put out into the universe makes. God created the universe. And if you hear of another person's tragic news and think there is really nothing you can do, please reconsider. There is something you can do. Send a prayer, your prayer, on their behalf. It truly is doing something. Uh, and it, it, yeah, I was happy to do that. And I think it, it, when I initially, I think when I reached out to the Augustinians at Malvern, they kind of took the ball and ran with it too. It went, it went in bigger circles after that. And I have a few friends who are the type of people, if you reach out to them, they have bigger circles as well. And I think that's how it ballooned, at least on my end. And I'm sure you had other friends that were doing the same thing too. Yes, I believe that is exactly what other friends were doing too. Something larger was happening. Through the web of friendship and prayer, I felt gently rocked in the bosom of something powerful. And it was powerful. Knowing others were praying for Archer, that was very comforting. And to give you a sense of it all while reconstructing these first few days for this podcast, I went back to look at the logs of saved text messages during that time. There are over 3,000 pages of text messages from my phone during that time. Here are just a few more that lifted me up to places of hope and optimism, leaving little room for any doubt. These words allowed me to reclaim my strength those first 24 hours in that ICU. 4.37 a.m., Michael Alloy, my friend who is a circuit court judge in West Virginia, texted, Oh, Louise, I don't know what to say. When I first read your note, I cried. There is a saying that when you pray, don't pray for an easy life but pray to be strong. I don't know of anyone stronger in faith than you. I will pray hard and then pray some more for all of you. And I'll light a candle in my childhood church. Love, Michael. I was so touched by the tenderness of others and what they were doing for us that day. It was so moving to me. 533. Elizabeth Sanborn, my sister in Bethesda, Maryland, praying hard, lighting a candle. I can be there on a dime. Yes, yes, it's devastating, I texted her back. I'm trying to be strong. 6.58 a.m. Anne Crawford, my childhood friend in Charleston, South Carolina. She texted, oh, Louise, I'm so sorry. I am praying and will continue to pray. Yes, prayer is very powerful. I don't need to tell you to be strong. You are the strongest person I know. I love you. 7.38 a.m., Cleve Branick, 
my University of Virginia college friend in Charlottesville, Virginia, he texted, I typically do not use Facebook much, but if you would like, I can post a note on my page requesting prayers from all. That will likely generate a lot of prayers from old friends of yours and loved ones. Wow, I thought to myself, I was not a Facebook user either. I always wanted to be, but I just hadn't found the time with work and the children and all. But what a kind thing, Clevey, for you to do for us. Thank you. 7.41 a.m., Will Phipps, my youngest brother in New York, texted, we are praying nonstop. My network has been hard at it. I love you, Archer, and all of you. St. Clement's Church in Saratoga, also including Archer in their daily prayer chain. And the Farmer family of Springfield, Illinois, have the St. Agnes prayer chain praying also for him. Messages coming in from all over, Louise, of prayers being made. God bless this wonderful boy, and may he return to his healthy and active self. I believe he will overcome, and God will hear us. Yes, Will, I felt myself smile out loud. Yes, he will overcome. Archer will be restored. I just know he will, too. I was just amazed. The prayer chains, it was happening so fast. 8.24 a.m. from Mary Ellen McNally, my friend in Delaware, and my beach buddy in Cape May who texted, I woke up in the middle of the night and was urged to get on my knees and pray for Archer. I'm with you in prayer. Do not worry. God is holding him. Oh, those words were so powerful to me. My friend got out of bed on her knees. I didn't even know she prayed. Yes, Mary Ellen, I will not worry. I will try not to worry. Thank you for your powerful words to me. 8 a.m., Margie Hun, my 76-year-old aunt again in Iowa. Louise, Archer has Graham Lilly's strong genes and will fight this. Prayers for you and family. I love you. Yes, Margie. Yes, you are right. He does. 9.30 a.m. Leslie Killinger Zagari, my college sorority sister in Austin, Texas, who texted, I have sent a prayer request out to my wonderful prayer group, and I know the power of prayer, faith, and Archer's strength are so important for his recovery. Please take care of yourself, too. I can't imagine what you are going through. Thank you, sweet Leslie. Thank you for acknowledging that. And I never knew you were in a prayer group. 10.22 a.m. Lillian Johnston, my youngest sister in Chicago, Illinois, who texted, Father Paul and everyone are praying. Mass intention for Archer at St. Paschal's on September 12th. Also added Archer to our prayer chain in the church bulletin. XXXXO, whoa, whoa, whoa. Oh, Lillian, I love that old church in Chicago you guys go to, full of so many good families. Thank you so much. I love you. I can't tell you the feeling of comfort my family and friends were giving me when they told me they had ignited the prayer chains. I believe prayer is powerful. I had heard as a little girl of cloisters of nuns and monks who dedicated themselves to praying for the sick and dying. It always sounded kind of mysterious to me. I had no idea how many prayer warriors I actually knew. Lucy Bruce, a friend in Georgia, a previous divorce mediation client, texted, and I could hear Lulu's earthy trill Louise, huge prayers coming. I love you. You are absolutely the strongest, most passionate woman I know. God has his arms wrapped around you all. 
I'm sure of that. XOXO Lulu. 10.42 a.m. Grace and Lindsay Stewart in Kentucky. Previous mediation training clients who texted and I could hear Grace's voice. Louise, we've just received message regarding Archer. We'll start prayers ASAP for him, your other precious children, you and Bill. Prayer is powerful. 12.10 p.m. Lulu texted again just a few minutes later. Praying nonstop. I won't stop for a minute. You don't need to answer. Just couldn't quit thinking about you. Can't imagine how your heart is beating. Amazing how they all knew just the right things to say to me. Real. From the heart. I felt connected. And I couldn't believe the text messages from current and past mediation clients too. I mean, how'd they hear? How did they have my cell phone number? I mean, I guess I had given it to them in their crisis. But the volume of texts, it was almost overwhelming. But it actually wasn't overwhelming at all. I mean, there were some that actually caused me some stress the ones that asked questions that were just too huge to answer, like, hi, thinking of you, how are you? But if they said, is there anything I can do? I texted, please pray. I was in a state of pure receptiveness. That's really what it was like. I had asked and I was just receiving. I was so moved. 1.12 p.m., Dr. Ken Williams in Baltimore, Maryland, whom you've met, texted me that afternoon, there is a prayer group at the Polish Church Holy Rosary that is praying for Archer. I took him to Mass there years past and taught him how to bless himself in Polish. Multilingual prayers can only help. Oh, yes, Ken. Prayers in every language and every tongue can only help multilingual, multicultural. You know, I got that text and my mind flashed to a memory I had. I was brand new to high school. I was 14 years old. My mom enrolled me at Sacred Heart Academy in Springfield, Illinois, which was run by the Dominicans. You know, the Order of Sisters dedicated to teaching. I'll never forget one day in our freshman religion class when I asked the sister, we also called the sisters nuns, about the Apostles' Creed. I had always wondered why the C in the word Catholic that was in the Catholic prayer wasn't capitalized. You know, in grammar, you capitalize all religions, right? Muslim, capital M. Jews, capital J. Presbyterians, capital P, right? I mean, why was the C in Holy Catholic Church not capitalized in our creed that we said every Mass? I'd always wondered, since I was a very young girl at my church growing up at Blessed Sacrament, and I'd honestly just thought as a little girl that it was a typo, a mistake in the prayer books and the pews, since we had the same books for all my life, it seemed. But my mom had told me Catholic means universal. And there it was again now in my high school religion class, lowercase little c. Sister, in her nun's habit of starched black headdress with a cotton veil with the white forehead piece and her long white robe, with her long rosary beads dangling down from around her waist, looked quite squarely at me and echoed what my mom said too. And she explained it a little further to me. She said, the Apostles' Creed is for all believers and that there were many different Christian churches, not just Catholics, capital C, and that we were one, little c, I was taken aback, sort of, 
like, wow, that was really new to me. And I liked it. I liked that I professed a creed every mass that was universal. But I remember to this day, like I was standing in front of sister just as I was that day, asking her more questions after class. Sister, I said, does it only include Christians? She paused and looked right at me and said gently, yes, it's the Apostles' Creed that you believe in Jesus Christ. But sister, what about people born in other countries who are good people but don't believe in Jesus? I mean, they don't know Jesus. She paused again, and I'll never forget what she said to me. This nun and her habit teaching a young 14-year-old girl with a lot of questions. You may pray for unity. I can see her now holding up her fingers and making a little C as she smiled, saying, We are all called to be one. It was a little epiphany to me. Yes, I hadn't thought about that until tonight. I think that moment profoundly shaped me. Yes, Ken, the multilingual prayers from all parts of the planet counted. There is one God. We are one. Every single prayer would be heard for Archer. And even though I only chose a few of the texts, each one was precious to me. I can't tell you how much they meant to me. They were powerful medicine. Like my sister-in-law, Sue Semt-Smith, said in one of her texts about Archer, miracles do happen, especially to one so loved. And like Ken Williams texting me, he is Archer and will come through. I was also deeply moved by messages that reassured me who I was. Michael Alloy, my friend the judge in West Virginia, take care of your son, Louise, but I'm sure you know that all your family needs you. You are the strong one, Louise, and I know how hard that can be, so take care of yourself too. And my sister-in-law, Sue, telling me, Louise, you are incredible, so strong, so loving. Faith will sustain us all. We will be here for you. Please call on us. Carol Foster, our family dentist's wife and mother of one of Pete's high school friends. You have incredible faith, Louise. Another divorce client, a man. You have helped many. Many will want to help you. You are a strong woman. It was so reassuring because they spoke a truth that I may have momentarily forgotten, but I knew in my heart was true. Their words were different than stay strong or keep the faith, which are good concepts, but they do not stir the heart. These were words that were also not telling me what to do. No, they were saying, you are strong. You are faithful. Archer is so loved. It's personal, and it rang a personal truth about both of us. It stirred my heart, and it stoked my courage. It was as if they were saying, Louise, you will know what to do. And as I think about it right now with you, I want to remember, these are the kinds of words to say to others in crisis, true words about them, what you know, coming from the most tender part of your heart, that will make them strong. Like little Mikey Detterman, Archer's grade school friend, well, big Mike, 17 years old then whom Archer had gotten into some high school trouble with on occasion, 
texting me. Hi, Mrs. Semft. Everyone is praying and caring. Please let him know I love him. Whew, that really moved me because Archer hadn't seen Mike in a while. I was kind of just in a little bit of disbelief because I had no idea what was going on. I think later at night, I realized how serious this began to realize how serious this could be. And I wanted to reach out to you because I think you and I have always been able to communicate and especially over text throughout all my friendship with Archer. And yes, we had that kind of relationship and it was beautiful. The prayers were going vertical and horizontal and oh yes, people prayed. My good friend Loretto Kane, whom I told you about earlier, her text had made it to the National Association. It was marked importance, urgent. I was so scared for you. I really was. And I was scared, but hopeful. I mean, that's why the, the power of prayer, right? So that's why I went and put the urgent, you know, the message out to all of our prayer warriors to, to come together and for a, a single message of hope and, and to be with you and Bill as well, because, you know, what a, what, what a wild ride, right? Well, you know, Louise, I think in our coming together through the order, I, I think we have a very strong shared faith and I, I'm a strong believer in the power of prayer and, and I, I've been witness to it. And so to me, that was the first place I went to when I heard the news of Archer was we have to pray. And, you know, one, one soldier, you know, but you put, you put your whole battalion together and that's, I called on our battalion. You know, we, the power of prayer is, is just mightyful. My good friend, Betty Hines in Baltimore, who had been my chapter chair of my women presidents organization group texted, Louise, I know you and I are prayer warrior sisters together. I put it out to the chapter chairs nationwide. Our sister Louise's son broke his neck and she's asking for your prayers. I was awestruck. WPO was not a group that was bound by anything religious. We are bound together as women business owners and are as diverse as the plants in the rainforest. And Betty sent it out without apology. And you can't underscore the power of prayer. And it says pray without ceasing. So uh, even those who were in different faith and different religion, this was about someone's child, someone that you knew, you had some relationship with. So it was very powerful. And the story for it was not only powerful, it was painful. So yeah, there was the power of prayer. And, uh, you know, I talk about, you know, pray without ceasing, but I, I picked up uh, a couple of scriptures that to help me reflect on that moment. And it says, if you have faith, whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive if you have faith. As I read them all, each and every one, I felt like I was a dry plant being watered. I felt nourished. I could feel myself coming back to myself and awakening. I was aware of this sort of tingling, warm feeling I had sort of all over. I mean, maybe I was just tired, but I recognized the feeling as something else. It was the same feeling I had had on some rare occasions when I felt very close to God. Like, I could feel it. I remember being in the grotto at Lourdes. Do you know what a grotto is? I had to learn it myself. It's a large rock cave in the woods. They have one at that place, Lourdes. I told you about it before. It had such a big impact on me. It's a place where miracles happen beginning when the mother of God appeared to a little sickly and very poor little French girl, Bernadette, over 150 years ago in the dry, barren, rocky area with a grotto. She was given messages to pray for unity. And people of all faiths, and even some of no faith, began traveling there for miracles 
and still do to this day to the underground holy waters. And a few years ago when I was there on a pilgrimage in the early hours of the dawn, just before the new day, I went myself to that same grotto. It was cold and it was very dark. And I stood in that same grotto, just like little Bernadette, humble and praying. And I gazed into the eyes of the statue of Mother Mary, and I felt it. It was very tangible. I felt filled, you know, like joyful. What was it? How do I describe it to you? Maybe you have felt the same way. It's warm. It's safe. It's so comforting. It's complete. It's the experience of, of love and trust. Complete trust that no matter what, you're already whole. You won't be hurt. You feel oneness there. That's how all those texts made me feel. I felt oneness that night. I felt loved and truly comforted, and I trusted in their prayers. So I was wondering what it would be like for Archer when he really woke up from surgery. While he looked frightful with all those machines and monitors and the last few hours had moments of great distress, I realized he could have died. He was hardly recognizable, and yet I knew my Archer. And I knew he was strong, even under all those tubes. I was aware of my thoughts, though, of feeling scared for him about being in pain. I was anticipating that for him. The painkillers can only last so long. And while I felt like the rug had been pulled out from under our family and our world, Archer's world, I told myself in the fading afternoon light, Archer isn't going to die. And I think I may have even said that aloud in the hospital room. Archer Semft, you're going to live. You're going to have a good life. We'll figure it out. I think a nurse called me about something. Flowers had arrived. They were gorgeous. A vase that was 18 inches high and filled with a bouquet of summer beauties as if picked from someone's beautiful flower garden. They were from the family of one of Archer's girlfriends, and I was amazed by that kindness. But the nurse told me they were not allowed in his room. Why not? I asked. They're so beautiful. They would cheer him. She said the pollen can compromise his lungs. Wow. Everything was new in this new world we were now navigating. I see, I said to her. She said, I'm sorry, but we have to throw them away. And she removed them. I said, hey, hey, wait a minute. As she walked away, can't we maybe put them in a place where at least the nurses or another family could enjoy them? Or maybe in a place where Archer could see them outside his room? She paused. Okay, she said she thought that would be nice. The lovely flowers were placed in the middle of the trauma unit donut I told you about on a desktop we could sort of see. I glanced again at my phone. More text messages from more prayer warriors, and I felt something very alive in me. I felt alert. I felt as if every cell in my body was alive awakened, knowing that somewhere outside the hospital, out there, we were supported by collective prayer. The feeling I had in my body was very real. I looked at Archer as he lay there sleeping. It was Archer. I had confidence in Archer. I knew him. He could come out of this with God's help, grace, and mercy. We needed to stay together.
I mean, it's in a way, I, I, it's tribal in the sense we're as a human tribe, you know, that we're like, we're just like, hey, we're all in this and together. That is what I think human beings do best in a crisis is they do come together. And but you, you can't come together in someone unless they open a door and invite you in the room. And you did that. You opened the door and welcomed everyone in. Oh, I reached out because the Semt family, we were in great need. Our family needed those prayers. And yet, I had no idea that soon, within just hours of darkness rolling in, a massive combat was about to be waged. Oh, if only I could have bottled it and sold it, as they say, that feeling of comfort I had had felt throughout the morning and afternoon from the prayers and the words of caring, thoughtful people. I would sprinkle it all over Archer so he would not have to fight those battles alone, whatever they were. I'd sprinkle it all over myself so I would not have to fight those battles alone. And I'd sprinkle it all over my family so they would not have to fight those battles alone. But I only tell you that now, in hindsight, as I'm looking back. My journal notes that morning only recorded my fear for Archer's pain and also the feeling of comfort and awe at people's love. A nurse told me there had been a few developments with Archer's lungs based on the monitor reading, she said. She told us it was important for him to rest but not optimal for him to be on his back, and they wanted to begin weight shifting him this evening. I later learned that the reason Dr. Radcliffe had chosen to do a posterior neck surgery entering through the front of the neck rather than anterior entering through the back of the neck, which is the most common to stabilize the neck, is because of all the seawater Archer had taken in to his lungs. He had felt it was too risky to turn Archer's head down as they normally do for fear Archer would aspirate, choke, suffocate, and they would have no way of saving him because his neck was not yet stabilized. I sent another text. Storm heaven, please keep praying. We need Archer's lungs to be strong enough to get off the ventilator. That is our prayer for now and a prayer for a miracle as well. He has no ability in his arms, hands, and below his chest. It's hard to take it all in, the gravity of it. I know God has a plan. Please don't stop any prayer, even if just a passing good thought. XO. Within seconds, I heard from Julie Sullivan in California, an old high school friend. You got it. We are storming the gates for you. My arms are wrapped around you from the West Coast. I sent message to the mother house at SAJ. They seem to have a direct line. Oh, Louise, my heart breaks for you. Strength and faith. Love you. The mother house, Sacred Heart Academy. That's where the nuns lived in Springfield, Illinois. You know, the Dominican sisters I told you about who taught me in high school. I knew Archer was in good hands. But within a few hours, without warning, chaos broke loose in that hospital. Archer's right lung collapsed. Life can change in the blink of an eye. You know, I don't know if you are a person who prays or not, but I think in a crisis, when something bad happens to you personally or to someone you love, that one human tendency is to go private, whether because of confusion or maybe even guilt or shame, awkwardness, whatever it is. It's a pull away, you know, head down, close the door, withdraw, isolate. It's not wrong. It's just one response to trauma. But there is another way another choice. I think the path to healing is together with others. Even non-believers in a crisis often pray. When we pray, we are reaching out to God. If you are ever in deep personal trouble, 
prayer is comforting. And if you reach out to others to pray for you, I bet they will. You're never alone. And if you reach out to others for comfort or to support you, well, I suppose it's possible that you might not feel the comfort of people you know supporting you or the comfort of your own family or friends supporting you. I mean, stuff happens in life. But if you reach out to God, God is always there through the thick and thin, loving you completely and fully. You don't have to win God's love. That's a lot to take in. You might not feel it because we have a lot of barriers we put up to not be so vulnerable, thinking we are protecting ourselves. It's really just a lot of armor. No reason to be at war with God. At least, that's what I believe. I mean, I can get good and mad at him, but I know he's never against me. And as for people in your life, I bet they will be there for you. If you ask them for something they can actually do that will help you. I mean, it might take a little vulnerability to ask, but if you ask others to pray for you, or even better, with you, anyone can do that. I bet you will feel the comfort of their prayer supporting you, even people you do not know. That's what happens when you reach out. It really does. It doesn't take much effort or time to ask. It just takes a little humility. And if others ask you, it doesn't take much effort or time to say a prayer for them. It just takes a movement of your heart. Maybe you start now when you don't have a crisis and ask your friend, your neighbor you pass out on your walk, your coworker at the end of a Zoom call, or your roommate you live with, or even your spouse. Ask if they'd say a prayer for you. Hey, I've got a tough meeting coming up. Can you say a little prayer for me that I'll say the right thing? Or, yeah, my mom's in an Alzheimer's facility now. I'd love it if you could say a little prayer for her comfort. It's pretty simple to openly ask. And not everyone will want to respond. That's okay, too. That can open up other interesting conversations about beliefs. And you can listen and then share your thoughts and then listen some more. Some people have never had anyone introduce them to prayer. It's never too late. And it's not mandatory to pray in order to listen to this story. It's just that I wanted to share it with you. Because when Archer's neck was so broken and we were so scared, prayer was so powerful. Multicultural, multilingual, incredibly unifying. I really love that you're listening to this story and I'm grateful you're with me on this journey. I'm saying a prayer for you. And I hope you feel that comfort. Do you? I hope so. None of us is ever alone. As we say goodbye for now, let's send a positive intention to anyone who is stumbling with a relationship with God, who wants to pray, but is afraid or angry or confused. Maybe that's you. Maybe that's someone close to you. God is so merciful. Just start a little conversation. Hello, God. While God goes by many names, source, divine, creator, just to name a few, the simple personal approach works for me. Hi, God. Louise again. God loves us so much. When you can feel how much you are loved, you can love others. That's all God asks of us, really. Life is so precious. Sending love. Hope for everything. Obtain everything. You've been listening to Blink of an Eye. 
we ask that you share this with anyone who may need inspiration, a lift, or who may relate. Never miss an episode. Please subscribe on our site, blinkofaneyepodcast.com, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or wherever you listen. If you have a story to share, please contact Louise Phipps Semph directly, louise at blinkofaneyepodcast.com. She would love to hear from you.